I was pretty sure the next thing was the reading of Scripture, but until I got my bulletin, I wasn't sure. It's been an interesting week. It's a lot in the news about the law, Supreme Court decisions. And this week I had a chance to visit the Magna Carta exhibit at the Huntington Library in celebration of the 800th year of the Magna Carta, the beginning of the rule of law in the Western world. Well, this summer, we're going back even several thousands of years earlier to the beginning of a rule of law in the Ten Commandments. And this morning, we're looking at the text of Scripture in Matthew 22, which Jesus is asked, what is the greatest and most important commandment? He's being interrogated by the religious officials of the day. And here's what Jesus has to say. Listen for God's word for you. Now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we come this morning to hear a word from you. A word that in the midst of all the words of our time that seem such distractions would cut through and reveal truth. And so, dear God, quiet within us any voice but your own, that we may hear your word. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It was a Saturday night, and a woman phoned Dr. Miller, who was a seminary president at the time, and asked Dr. Miller, What do I believe? Well, what do you mean? Dr. Miller answered, not sure he had quite heard her correctly. I mean, she answered, what do I believe? I've just come from a party where several people got into a discussion about various beliefs. There was a Jewish woman who told us about what she believes as a Jew. There was a Roman Catholic woman who told us about what she believes as a Roman Catholic. I was the only Protestant in the group, and frankly, I didn't know what to say. There was a Pentecostal fundamentalist who suggested that I was less than a real Christian. What do I believe? Now, Dr. Miller later would say, that woman friend of mine must have come into the church on confusion of faith rather than confession of faith. But she is not alone and suffering from a confusion of faith. 
people who can't say exactly what it is they believe. And that's easy to understand today. There's a sort of a reluctance or a reticence to even talk about our faith, much less what we really believe. And the exploration of faith is often pushed to the periphery of our lives. It's a story told of a minister who was all decked out in clerical garb with a collar, and he was at lunch at a table in a local restaurant just down the street from his church, and a man at the table next to him said, I see you're a preacher. Where's your church? And the minister replied, well, I serve the church just down the street from here. Hey, the man said, that's my church too. How about that? Small world. The minister said, well, I've, I've been the pastor there for about two years, and I, I must say I can't remember ever meeting you or seeing you there before. Reverend, the man replied, I said I was a member, not a fanatic. <laughs> Just in my lifetime, I've seen an explosion of secular life a diminishing of the influence of the church in both personal and public life. And so I think a lot of people today are not sure anymore of what they're supposed to believe, much less what they actually believe. In a culture that tends to value individual rights, the last thing we want to hear or be told is how to live. We want unlimited choices. But we have these unlimited choices in our culture precisely at a time when the value system with which to make choices seems to be in doubt. Now, if the old dogmas have lost their power to make us feel guilty, I wonder if the older values have also lost their power to inspire us. And when we talk about values, we can't help but talk about God. This week, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on two controversial issues, and the Chief, Chief Justice, John Roberts, exercising a certain independence of thought, has come under fire from both the left and the right for his positions on those two choices. He can articulate the values that he holds that result in the decisions he made, supporting the majority opinion in one case and a minority opinion in the other. I learned this week at the exhibit at the Huntington Library that for many attorneys, the Magna Carta is the Bible for the law. Being signed in 1215 as it was, some years ago, a survey of 1,200 people, ages 15 to 35, found that most of them could name no more than two of the Ten Commandments. And the essayist, Colin Murphy, wrote, they weren't too happy about some of the others when they were told about them. I think the Ten Commandments have fallen into relative obscurity these days. They were the foundation 
and the center of confirmation programs and catechetical instruction in the church throughout the centuries. In fact, they're often referred to as the ten words. They're so simple that they can be memorized and understood by anyone. The Ten Commandments intended to protect the communal nature of human life from falling into chaos. The Ten Commandments are directed at the inner person, at the individual, calling each of us to serve the needs of all of us. And they apply to everyone, those who have little power and those who have great power. The standard of evaluation is the same for all. This rule of law keeps life from the chaos that it sometimes becomes. The problem is that today we don't want anything like commandments. In this age of personal autonomy, few of us really want to be told what it is we are to do. So maybe a little updating of the Ten Commandments is in order. Charlton Heston, who played Moses in the film The Ten Commandments, was once asked what he thought about updating the commandments. Heston suggested, well, maybe these two could be added. Do your best. Keep your promises. The National Parenting Center asked children to suggest additional commandments. Among their ideas, no bombing for the heck of it, no grabbing. John Leo, with a tongue-in-cheek, suggested that any new set of commandments should probably be called the Ten Tentative Suggestions. They might include, know that you are the universe or maximize your time spent in the flow and happiness. It seems to me when I look at the culture around us, some of the messages that my children have grown up with, that I have been immersed with, these might be some of the commandments of culture. Thou shalt not fail at anything, ever. Thou shalt not grow old, So pretend you're forever young. Thou shalt accumulate lots of stuff. Houses and cars and signs of success. And thou shalt always compare yourself to others to determine if you're successful enough or good enough or good-looking enough or thin enough or happy enough. And so on goes the list. When I think of those kind of Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that we have codified in the Bible are there to free us from worshiping the wrong things. They stand over and above all cultures and the fascination that our culture has with things and wealth and success. And The Ten Commandments call us back to deeper values call us back to an embrace of the reason that God has called us to himself. It's interesting, recently I came across a little article in the recent issue of the Christian Century, and it reads that the number of women in England and Wales choosing to become nuns is on the rise, reaching a 25-year high. 
Many of these women are under 30 years of age. And the increase is occurring both in the active and in the cloistered orders or convents. One novice explained her choice. Quote, If our society is obsessed with money, sex, and power, and the games that people play with them, then vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience represent a profound freedom. It's not fleeing the world. It's finding your place in it. So long ago, after what has come to be known as the greatest freedom march of all history, the Exodus, the Ten Commandments were given directly from the hand of God because they provide freedom. Freedom for worshiping and freedom from worshiping the wrong things too much and the right things too little. Our worst impulses are restrained by these commandments and they're constrained in order to allow our best impulses to find expression. Jesus puts what is in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, in a more positive context, in the words of the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest in the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These people on this freedom march coming out of slavery had to put their lives together and they had to put their society together. And having had this profound experience of the Lord's presence in their own lives and history, they received these ten commandments for the humanizing of their life together. Liberating words. Not the kind of words any of them expected. Sometimes I get the feeling that a lot of people feel we have outgrown the usefulness of the Ten Commandments. We've taken them out of public spaces. And thousands of people in our country find absolutely nothing wrong in stealing anything from hotel towers, towels to taxes to overtime pay. There just seems to be this sort of moral breakdown evident in the way people act. And it seems to be so widespread that people who act with integrity and honesty and, new, and trustworthiness seem to be newsworthy. And the loss of the Ten Commandments as a basis for action in the world, we have lost something valuable. We have lost a moral compass in the heart of everyone who believes and accepts them. And it seems the real infraction is not in the behavior itself. The real infraction for many people today is just in getting caught. So perhaps a new way of relating that is so needed in human community is actually a very old way of relating. 
Many people, I think, are impressed with Jesus. But Jesus just didn't seem to be interested in people who were impressed with him. He was always looking for followers, not admirers. I sometimes wonder if I actually encountered Jesus in the flesh, if I would more likely ask for his autograph than for his orders. God seems to care about the total life of people. The Lord cares about how your life and how my life comes out. And out of God's concern that you and I not make a shipwreck of our lives and of our society, God has given ten clear warnings of rocky and dangerous shoals to be avoided. God has given us a guideline to help us sink our roots down into some spiritual reality and to live fully with joy. The confusion of faith must give way to the confession of faith. Not that we'll always get it all right or have clarity about everything and not be confused. But there is a good reason to know what we believe and why we believe it. And a good place to begin is with the Ten Commandments. It seems to me that human beings in this life remain the big question mark. Everything depends upon what kind of change actually takes place within people. Within people. Love God and worship God alone. Don't give your ultimate allegiance or loyalty to anything else. This is the first, this is the most important commandment. It affects everything else in your life. If you worship correctly, everything else begins to find its place in life. But if you worship yourself, or you worship your health, or you worship your success, you will lack the freedom you seek, and you will find yourself enslaved and ultimately disappointed. Sometimes we people say, I hear people say, they no longer believe in God. But that doesn't mean they believe in nothing. In fact, today, it's common to talk about the rise of the nuns, those who select none on surveys when asked what their religion is. But I think it's closer to the truth to say when people no longer believe in God, they'll believe in anything, not nothing. God has given us clear guidelines about how to live and how to avoid the shoals. Let us take them to heart. And may the Lord spare us from sailing our lives into the rocks. Thanks be to God. Amen.